0: Welcome to Outspoken Voices, a podcast by and for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer parents, people with LGBTQ parents, and everyone else who is part of our family journeys. I am this month's host, Emily McGranahan, and I'm the East Coast Regional Manager for Family Equality Council. Today, we are talking about National Adoption Awareness Month. Before we continue, we want to acknowledge the generous support of Johnson's for this month's episode of the Outspoken Voices podcast. As part of their commitment to and support for family inclusivity, Johnson's is proud to support Family Equality Council's National Adoption Month campaign to recognize all the loving families that help children thrive. Telling our stories, as we've talked about in previous episodes, uh, is a powerful way to raise awareness of LGBTQ families and, in this month, adoption. LGBTQ couples are more likely than different sex couples to adopt children. Private adoption, public adoption through the foster care system, and kinship adoption are all part of our family's stories. In this episode of Outspoken Voices, we are talking with three parents whose families have expanded with adoption. We have with us Jamie and Bo Nabuzny and Katie Mitchell. So, to get us started, Jamie and Bo, would you just share a little bit more about your family journey?
1: Absolutely. So, it goes back to May of 2015. Jamie and I have had many conversations previous to that time, and, and we finally decided it's time to pull the trigger and expand our family. We have so much love to give and. Um, it's time for us to start thinking about expanding that family, like I said, so we partnered partnered with a local adoption agency children's home society slash lutheran shelter services uh, to really get educated on the adoption programs that they have available and really get an idea of what we were looking to expand our family with uh, for the type of children that were available, so we attended some classes. Um, Got some insights on how the the progress or program was going to work, and we're very energized to move forward um, with that organization. So we went to a training later on that year in December of 2015, where you get to really experience or learn about the different experiences that you can have through the adoption process. Um, Definitely having a few reality checks, but really understanding that uh, we still wanted to move forward uh, with forming our family. So we later in 2016 uh, received notification that we had been assigned a worker with the organization and started our home study process where they started interviewing us, um, us really thinking about what we were able to handle and take on in our family and what kind of services we could provide to the children. Um, and support. And through that process, Jamie and I really identified that we were looking for a sibling group. We wanted to go through the process once because we knew um, how detailed the program was, Uh, as well as we were looking for children that were under the age of 10 at that time. So we continued through our journey of having conversations with our social worker, and she definitely challenged us to look at uh, different children that were in the system. Um, And we ended up in June of last year, of 2016, uh, being presented with two boys, and their names are Juan and Brandon, and at that time, they were seven and nine years old, and we as soon as we saw their picture, as soon as we read their profile, immediately knew that these two boys were our kids. Uh, So we started having conversations, making quite a few calls um, to get the uh, conversations happening that we wanted to start having the match meetings. Uh, So we had the match meetings and in the end, a couple weeks later, we finally actually got to meet them in person. And then four weeks later, they actually ended up moving in with us. Uh, So very quick journey um, and expanding that very quickly. Fast forward to 2017, and um, we ended up having grandma and grandpa actually move in with us, Jamie's parents, uh, for them to help us with the boys and really just building that connection and bonding with them uh, and just expanding our family even further, which has been a really great addition to the family. Grandma helps us quite a bit by helping us with carting the boys to school, as well as having dinner ready for the family um, and just having that quality time. Throughout that time, we did actually have um, some communication with their brothers. They have two older brothers and two younger brothers. Uh, The two younger brothers were actually adopted Um, the same time Juan and Brandon were in December of 2016. Uh, We had regular playdates with them, having them all meet together uh, on a regular basis. And throughout the process, we, we built actually a pretty good connection with the two older brothers. And after about six or seven months, Jamie, would you say, mm-hmm. uh, we started having some discussions with the social worker that re- represented all six boys and made it known to the social worker as well as the guardian at Lytem for all six boys that we were open to um, having the two older brothers actually come live with us as well and work on adopting and finalizing with them. So that conversation, again, happened in the June time period. And had conversations in July, and the boys actually, the two older boys, ended up moving in with us August 23rd of this year. And I'm happy to report that things are going very well, um, and everybody is getting acclimated, and it's just been a great process. And I would would attribute this to being the representatives through the county that they're in, uh, the social worker, as well as the guardians just being phenomenal and Um, really being great advocates for our boys. So that's where we're at today.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, I didn't actually include this in your uh, introduction, but... Um, Can you just share like where you are? And, and you talked about some of this process was very quick. And so it sounds like geographically being close to um, the different agencies you were working with and these different meets you were going to. How did that sort of like where you were located? Do you feel like that played? um, What kind of role do you feel like that played in this experience, this journey for you?
2: So our adoption agency was right here in the Twin Cities. Um, We live in one of the suburbs, but they were located in uh, St. Paul, uh, Minnesota. And our adoption actually ended up coming through one of the other counties of the state, a rural county in Mm -hmm. Minnesota. Um, And I don't think that that, that—I mean—it was close enough that we were able to Mm -hmm. to start the visits and that sort of thing. Um, But it, you know, it it presented some challenges in the beginning. Um, But it's, you know, nothing that wasn't. I mean, we, it was easy to overcome those challenges and, and make the visits happen and that sort of thing. Um. Great.
0: Right. Uh, well, thank you. So now I want to just switch over. And um, Katie, if you would share uh, your family story. And this time now that I am uh, thinking about it, if you would also just share where you are lo- like geographically located.
3: Sure. Um so uh, we're from Lafayette, Indiana, which is about two hours south of Chicago, geographically. So I guess my story, my life story starts back when I met my wife in 2007. Um, we were working at the same location. She was married and had two children, two very young children. Um, several years later, we reconnected, at, I think, um, late 2010, and she was... Um, separated from her husband and soon got divorced and we kind of just connected as friends again and then started dating and obviously she already had two children at the time um our now youngest is uh she was four and then our oldest at the time was six so that's you know when I entered their lives um as I mentioned she was separated from from her husband got divorced Um, And he was not a very good part of the children's lives. And so after we started dating, about a year in or so, they moved in with me. And, you know, we kind of knew right away it was, you know, something serious. And I wanted to be a part of the kids' lives. Um, It took about two years for me to really talk with their biological father and come to the understanding that, you know, he really didn't belong in their lives and he really wasn't good. For them, so about two and a half years in, he voluntarily relinquished his rights to me. So we got an LGBT lawyer out of Indianapolis, went through the whole home study process. uh, And then a couple months after he signed over his rights in August of 2013, I adopted both of our older children. So at the time, I believe that they were seven and nine when the adoption was finalized. Um. About two months later, my mother called me and told me about an interesting uh, dilemma with uh, my second cousin. She had lost her first daughter to, well, she was taken by DCS. So my mother called and kind of just let my wife and I know about the situation and said, you know, we don't expect you guys to get involved, but you know, this is our family. So my mom, of course, knowing me, knew that we would we would uh, take the situation seriously, and we got involved. Uh, this was October 2013, and Sophia, who is now our youngest, was only 15 months old. She was in a foster placement up in northern Indiana, and it took us about three weeks to petition the court for custody of her. And then we became foster parents in December of 2013. And she was able to be, you know, placed with us and stay permanently with us throughout the entire DCS case. So Sophia was actually my second cousin. We had custody of her the entire time, all the way up through her entire case, which just ended in July of 2017. So it was almost a four-year-long DCS case. Um, But now that she is five, she's officially adopted and um I guess that's that's kind of our family story, a little bit different. We didn't go through um any, you know, adoption agency. We went through through DCS and we're still licensed foster parents. Um we just hit our four just about to hit our four year mark. I just talked got off the phone right before this call with a with a gentleman who wants us to take a respite care. We've done several respite care stays over the years and now um We are considering opening our license again to possibly, you know, taking more children in the future. We've also been trying together to have another child for about a little over a year. So there are many open doors in our um, future and our, you know, family growing. We're definitely wanting to have more children and very open to, you know, kind of whatever happens to us together. That's the route that we'll take.
0: Thank you for sharing that. That is um, such a multifaceted journey. I'm really excited to talk a little bit more. So my first question, um, really for all of you, is that often when people discuss adoption, um, the topic of closed or open adoption, sort of knowing birth families really uh, comes up, especially for different perspective parents. And both of you have different experiences with that, with different types of contact and relationships with birth families, so what has that been like for you and your children? Um, so maybe Jamie and Bo, if you 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 touched a little bit upon this with some meetings um, and getting together with uh, siblings, um, but how is you know what was that experience like for your family?
2: I think in the very beginning we had discussed this through the training, and I was really nervous about the fact that. Birth families would want to be involved with our kids' lives because I I think in my mind, I thought it would take away from my relationship with them or um, our relationship or our family's relationship with them. And what we've discovered through the process is that has been um, part of the wonderfulness of the journey, I think, is that we have had contact with their biological great-grandmother. Um, when the older boys, when we first met the older boys, that's who they were living with. And, um, she's been a wonderful part of our lives since then, as well as all of our boys lives, we have contact with their biological father who is in prison and they write letters back and forth. And that's been wonderful. And I think one of the things for us that, um, has been a good lesson is Beau himself was adopted and his, um, His adopted mom told him, the more people that love your family, the better. And I think that that we feel like um, that's very true. The more people that love our kids, the better off we all are. And so the openness has been um, kind of a a surprisingly wonderful experience, um, different than we thought.
3: And I guess on the kind of flip side, um, for me... I think it's been really hard, um, you know, coming in also, you know, meeting my kids at a young age and not being there for, you know, the first couple of years, they already had developed, you know, this strong relationship to their biological father's, you know, side of the family, but it was very traumatic for them. At the same time, we went through, you know, years of therapy with them from, you know, the loss of basically having their dad in their life because he was somebody that was not good for them. So that was very, you know, traumatic. And then at the same time, um, their biological grandparents on that side have been very supportive of them. But I think as a very young child, you know, for both my girls, they were, that was confusing. Their dad not wanting to be in their life, but their grandparents being very um, involved in their lives. But it's something throughout the years that we've worked really hard with, you know, their paternal grandparents to be positive and to be you know just just loving and there for them and that that absolutely doesn't have to involve their dad you know and again as as Bo just said you know the more people that love them the better even though I have no connection to these people they love my kids they treat them you know wonderfully and they're a support system You know, quite frankly, they're the only ones in the, you know, in Indiana that are that are close. We don't have any family here. So, you know, when something comes up with a kid, they're the first people that we would call. But like I said, at the same time, losing a family member at the beginning, it was very hard because there were these constant reminders and and hurtful things for the kids having to see them but not seeing their father. So it kind of went both ways where it kind of, you know, tests you as a parent to, you know, how do you make the situation safe and positive for your kids? So that, you know, with my older two. And then with the youngest one, her being my family was um really, really difficult because getting involved, not knowing, you know, really what that meant. And um it, it really was hard on my side of the family. So my mother, who was Sophia's great aunt, became her grandmother. And my grandmother you know, got put in this awful position because she, you know, at one point in time um, the state put a court order on both of Sophia's parents to not have contact with her. So that means that every single holiday you have to set up times for your family to see your kid because the parents can't be around. So you can't have holidays together. So that went on for three and a half years, you know, so having a 90 year old grandmother who gets, you know, put in the middle of that is really difficult. So. Um, now finally we got to the point where mother finally relinquished her rights, enabling us to adopt Sophia, um, our youngest. And that, I think, was it was a big thing. Finally, mom realizing that you know Sophia was in the right place and she was loved, and this was her future. And you know we finally were able to sit down and have some good conversations with mom about what does the future look like. And, you know, again, if you can be safe and you can be healthy, the reasons that she was taken away from you, as long as you're addressing those and you can be a good part of her life, you can be involved in her life. And finally, I think her mother is clean, and I think she's safe, and she's been able to, you know, come to some birthday parties and come to, um, you know, just some things with the family. And I don't feel like we have to put up this barrier, and I don't feel like we have to keep Sophia away. And Sophia's only five, so I don't think that she understands quite yet. I mean, we've introduced her biological mother as, you know, an aunt or kind of a friend. But, you know, definitely as she gets older, that's a conversation we're going to have to have with her. And Sophia knows she's adopted. I just don't think that. She has no memories of either of her parents. So, you know, that's a bridge we're going to have to cross, and I'm interested to see how it goes. Um, But I'm also happy that our family's finally, like you know, one piece again and not divided over this case. So.
1: Hmm.
3: What surprised you the most about this about the adoption process? You both went
0: through very different processes, but still working with courts, you know, this all of this was still part of, of your experiences. Were there any anything that really surprised you about that?
2: I think for us, we had really great agency support and we had really good county support. Um, but what surprised us the most was the challenges we faced with the state. Um, there was a lot of delays, a lot of issues, and we had to actually contact our state um, representatives to help us to to push that forward because it was um it was, it was much more challenging than we would have thought it would be. And we really, our boys had made it clear to us that they wanted for Christmas, we asked them what they wanted. And they said, we want to be, we want to be part of the family. And I said, well, you are part of the family. No, like when we get adopted and we're really part of the family. And so our goal last year was to push through as fast as we could to finalize the adoption before Christmas. And we made that happen, but not without putting a lot of pressure on the state to get that done. And so, I mean, I think that was kind of surprising because we sort of thought things would just happen the way they were supposed to and, and you know, things would work and and they didn't. We had to push it to make it work.
3: Um, in, in the case of my, my older two girls, I thought their adoption went really quickly and really smooth. And actually that was quite surprising to me. Being back in 2013 in a very conservative state of Indiana, you know, we went all the way to Indianapolis, the you know, biggest city capital, to get an LGBT lawyer and to you know, you still get to that date and they tell you like, don't be surprised if, you know, if the judge doesn't grant this. So, you know, we all were holding our breath up until, you know, the final day and it was like we had the nicest <laughs> judge and the best, you know, attorney. So things went really, really smooth and I found that to be um wonderful. And then in the case of DCS I kind of feel like, um we got put through the ringer, you know. That being our first case and our first placement, they, you know, DCS dropped us all the time. You know, they didn't file termination after 15 months. We had 13 different case managers, three different judges. You know, after wow. having her in our care for, you know, um, for th- almost three years, and her dad had never once seen her, um, and had not been following the case plan. They court ordered visitation. So you have a four year old child who has no idea who her dad is, and they made us do visitation. And it was just completely traumatic for her. And after, you know, three months, he disappeared. So it was like those kind of things that I'm a mental health director, you know, so being and I'm like, how is this even? How, why are we being put through this? And why? You know, it just did not make any sense to me. And, you know, or it took four years, which they tell us only 5% of cases go that long. So I feel like being a first-time foster parent, that was probably the worst experience that we could have had. So shifting
0: a little bit, but you've both now talked about um, grandparents. And so I'm actually just really interested in talking about so like what has their uh experience been like um i know jimmy and boo you, you have grandparents living at home and so this you know it, and your your full uh adoption processes have been pretty quick so what was that like talking about this with them um and then Katie, you you know it sounds like there are many different grandparents who are lovingly involved in um your kids lives and so what have their experiences or like when you talk with them you know what was those what were some of those conversations like what where are they now in terms of their um you know h- how they're supporting or engaging with your families
1: so this is both so on both sides, I think that we were getting pressure for a number of years of when are we going to start having a family and getting a family <laughs> together so I think both of our our parents were very very. Supportive. Um, so when we decided to go through the adoption process, um, there was a lot of excitement. Um, but I think that we needed to educate them on what the adoption process would look like as we went through it. So um, there was definitely that learning curve, but they were, of course, always supportive. Now, fast forward to when Jamie's mom and stepdad are living with us. Um, I definitely think that there were challenges and just getting reacclimated to having younger kids and constantly living with them and having them around so jamie's mom carol but she is just a, an angel to us and helping us and being there for the kids she has so much love to give um and is always there for our kids and asking how their day is so um there she's definitely there for us but i would say when we decided to move forward with the two older brothers um, we definitely had to sit down and have a conversation with her and just say, this is just as much your decision as it is our decision. Since you're in our home helping us out, assisting us, um, you need to be part of that. And there were definitely some reservations, but she said from her heart that she knew that this is what we needed to do and this is what we were going to do as a family to um, bring them in. So very supportive in there for us.
3: Uh, for my side of things, I mean Samantha and my parents are both very very supportive um as I kind of mentioned before, neither one of them are very close and you know distanced us. My parents being the closest so at about two hours um you know we try to see them monthly, and you know I was very much in the in the same you know position I was you know living on my own I had started a career I really you know when I met my wife was in this you know Good position, I guess, to to find somebody. And my my mom was again doing the same thing, you know, like when are you gonna get married and you know have kids and that kind of stuff. I have three older brothers, and neither one of none of them were married and none of them had children. So um, me being the youngest, she was definitely ready for grandkids. So <laughs> then I when I met my wife and adopted the girls, both two of my brothers had girls the same year. So I always joke that my mom got four granddaughters in the same year. So that worked out really well for her and she was very happy about that. And my mom has always been super supportive of of me and my decision. So uh, that's been great. And Samantha's parents live all the way up in uh, the upper peninsula of Michigan. So they're very far Mm -hmm. away and we only see them like three times a year, but they're still great. They make, you know, time every year to take the kids for two weeks and, you know, during summer and do all kinds of things and just, catch up and get to know them and you know getting custody of our youngest one it was like not even a blink of the eye they're like yeah send her up let's go let's have fun Mm -hmm. like they are just you know wide open arms and you know even the kids uh you know paternal grandparents that I had talked about my older two even getting Sophia in our care like my wife works on call a lot and so do I you know in the blink of an eye they take all three of our girls they know that You know, our older two girls, you know, love their younger sister. And even when we didn't know that she was going to be their sister, you know, they didn't blink to take all three of the girls, you know, to help us out. So it's been, you know, we're pretty lucky in that regard where we do have, you know, grandparents who are always willing to help. And they might not be close, but, you know, they call and they check in and they never miss anything that's important for the kids. So it's really great. I
0: love that. It's amazing how families and hearts can expand to really especially when it comes to, to kids and how that can really just change uh, and grow families so much. So we just have a, a few more questions, um, but something that I also wanted to make sure that I asked was what types of spaces, if any, um, do you speak for yourselves and your children? So LGBTQ parent spaces or spaces with for youth who have LGBTQ uh, parents, uh, adoptive parents or adoptee groups, um, and and if you are sort of finding some of these spaces with different peers, uh, why are they important to your family?
2: Well, I think for us, one of the things that we realized early on is that a lot of our friends, we have a lot of gay and lesbian couple friends, but they don't have children, and we wanted to make sure that that our boys saw families like ours, and that's one of the big reasons why we sought out the Family Equality Council and the events that they do really early on, to be able to expose them to families that look like ours so that they don't feel like you know we're the unicorn family, we're different from all the other families. Um, but one of the things I think that's been two big surprises for us. One is that that hasn't mattered that much in our neighborhood. We're the only um, same-sex couple, and we've been accepted in like every other family. And um, we're kind of grand central. All the kids end up at our house, hanging out, playing, um, and so that's been wonderful. So I think there's been two different things um, you know that we've done. We have sought out and sought out groups on Facebook as well. To meet other um, families including there's a, a gay dads group because we discovered not a lot of uh, father families go to the family quality events in our area so we've been trying mm-hmm. to do more to bring in the people that are on our facebook group into the events so that there are more dad families um, for our boys to connect with um so i think it's been both like we've had the surprise that we've just been it's been easy for us to find places we go on vacation Being a a same-sex family hasn't been an issue. We haven't encountered any problems, Um, but then also that we have sought to look for families that look like ours so that our boys see that.
3: And for us, um, you know, even though we're in a smaller city, we do have, you know, Purdue University, which is, you know, a blessing because it's one of the most diverse colleges and, you know... uh, United States. So I think that that helps bring a lot of diversity to our area and, you know, just to different cultures and backgrounds. And, you know, we also have some pretty great people here, you know, Tanya and Amy, who are part of family equality. So, you know, they're very up to date with, you know, the Pride Center in Lafayette. And we've done, you know, plenty of events there with our kids um, just to see other families like ours. But I think our kids most enjoy you know, the family equality events in April and then we went to the week long um in in Massachusetts. So um they really enjoy those events. Uh I'm trying to think what else. So we've done here, oh, we do Outfest in um in Lafayette, which happens every summer. And we usually run the booth and let our kids talk to people who come by and, you know, just kinda share our story and, you know, draw their family and I'm really also fortunate that I have three very outspoken girls, so not much gets by them. They're not afraid to talk to people about their families. Uh, being in school, I have an eighth grader, a fifth grader, and a kindergartner, and my kindergartner would be the first one to tell the whole world that she has two moms, two sisters, and five dogs and tell you everything you want to know, maybe more. So, <laughs> you know, we uh, I think a lot of people probably learn from them, which kind of makes me laugh and uh, you know, they, they definitely keep things interesting. So I don't think my kids have a problem, um, you know, blending in. And like I said, I think that they're also, you know, good advocates for us Well, we don't even have to do a lot of it. They'll just tell people like it is. So that's great. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Well, we have time for just, uh, final thoughts. So, I mean, maybe one final thought to think about if there's anything that, that you wanted to say before we um, ended this, the, the recording, but also what advice do you have for LGBTQ people, you know, maybe young adults, like thinking long time down the road, maybe people now who are on the cusp of, of uh, considering adoption. So you know, for folks who maybe are thinking about becoming foster parents or or adopting, um, what advice do you have for those LGBTQ individuals?
2: I would say there's a couple of things that I think are really important, and the first one, and we hear this a lot from from especially young people saying, well, we can't afford to adopt when, um, you know, we adopted through the state of Minnesota and we adopted kids in foster care, and we had very, very little out-of-pocket expenses from that, um, and I think that's important to know because there's a lot of people who think that's a barrier to be becoming a family, and it's not. The other thing that I think is really important um, as somebody who adopted a little bit older is that I finally came to the realization when I went back and forth about do I want to do this or do I not, is that I will never regret adopting our children. I will never regret that, but it's very possible that one day I would have regretted not doing it. And I think that's something that really guided my final decision about which direction we're going to go um and and when we discussed it, um you know Bo was ready, and I didn't know that I was. And so when I thought about that, you know that I I may one day regret not doing this, but I can tell you right now, <laughs> a year in with the two and one month in with all four, I will never ever regret uh, this. It's been probably the most wonderful thing that's ever happened to me.
3: You know, and I think a lot of those same things as well for us. I mean, a, a lot of people, you know, don't know if they're ready, you know, financially, and it's I you hear people of all you know, types of colors and backgrounds, you know, saying the same thing. Well, you you never really know when you're ready. So if, if you don't, though, are you going to regret it? And, you know, absolutely adopting, uh, you know, getting involved in uh, our youngest's case. I, I think back, you know, what if she would have ended up, you know, when we picked her up from the foster home, she was in for like three weeks before the judge released her to us. She The lady was the nicest, sweetest lady on earth, but she had and foster kids in her house. And um she told me that she was on like ninth foster child. And I'm just like, I think about like, how many times would she have moved? What family would she have ended up with? Would I know her, you know, and would have anybody else in my family stepped up to take custody of her? And I think, you know, probably not. So that would have been a family member that we would have, have just lost. And that makes me, you know, really sad. And kind of on the flip side of that, too, that that was a, you know, third generation of, you know, children and my family on that side getting lost in the system. And so that was not something that, you know, I wanted to see happen either to continue, you know, that bad spiral, which is why we ultimately got involved. Um, And although I said, you know, lots of those things about DCS that were, you know, disappointing and, you know, was still probably the biggest growing experience of my life, having to, you know, just put everything you have out there and not know, ultimately if you're going to end up with this child and just learning how to love unconditionally because you know you take these kids into your your house and and you love them and you don't know if in a week or a month or a year if they'll still be yours you know so I think as parents that just taught us a whole lot about you know how to love unconditionally and some of these kids you only get them for you know a couple of weeks and they're going to go on to another placement or their, their parents are going to get them back for that so important for them to be able to thrive and you know it doesn't matter what family has them, what matters is the love and the support. So even if you're gonna be a respite care foster parent or you know you're only gonna take emergency placements, that's so so crucial for these kids to to grow up and have an opportunity to be successful. And that's I think why our door is, is still open in in the foster care world. So
0: well Jamie, Beau, and Katie, thank you so much for opening your hearts and your family stories to us. This was just an incredible conversation, uh, and I really can't thank you all enough for, for being here to, and being part of this. And thank you again to Johnsons for their support. As part of their commitment to and support for family inclusivity, Johnson's is proud to sponsor Family Equality Council's National Adoption Month campaign to celebrate loving parents everywhere. And finally, thank you, uh, everyone listening, for joining us. And until next time, remember that love, justice, family and equality is what brings our families together.